An opening on the Supreme Court, GOP gubernatorial candidates start to duke it out and a deep dive into immigration. Welcome to Grand Divisions, a politics policy podcast by The Tennessean. This is the week of July 2nd. I'm Dave Boucher, investigative reporter. And I'm Joel Ebert. Welcome back, Dave. I am happy to be back. I'm I'm back from out in the field. <laughs> I, uh, I got, to, got to visit lovely Wayne County. It's uh, kind of central, western, about 100 miles outside of Nashville for you're, a uh, for another story. becoming a regular out there. I am, I am. <laughs> this is my third visit to uh, Wayne County. I joke with our photographer that we need a Wayne County Bureau, um, <laughs> which would be lovely. I, I really like Wayne County. It's really nice there. So anyway, uh, I went there to talk to, to, to local voters about immigration. We're going to get to that here in a second. But first, the big story that, that came out recently is Justice Kennedy on the Supreme Court decided that it was time to, to hang it up. He's stepping back Bombshell. from his role as an associate justice on uh, on the high court. Joel, what sort of impact do you see that having clearly on the U.S. Senate race here in Tennessee, but also potentially, is there an impact on the governor's race? I don't know. I don't know how much on the governor's race. I mean, obviously, the, the in the November election, you're going to have Republicans arguing we need to have conservative everything, you know, so uh, losing control of the uh, U.S. Senate uh, would potentially jeopardize their their control of of the various branches of government, but uh, definitely on the U.S. Senate race. So you know, immediately you had um, statements from Blackburn and and other folks saying, uh, "Marsha Blackburn, uh, the presumptive Republican nominee uh, for the U.S. Senate here in Tennessee." You, you you had folks saying this this is the importance of the election right here this one issue is going to determine the fate of the country right they they say for the next generation or 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 you know the president says 40 years potentially um so it it really ramps up the uh concerns on both sides i think if you uh looked at it some would argue this is harmful for bredesen right because Presumably, he might not uh, support a conservative justice. He has not said that, uh, but we will see how this shakes out throughout the campaign. Well, and I think, too, that you could see, on one hand, you could see Bredesen trying to paint himself as like a Joe Manchin from West Virginia sure. or somebody who would be open to a, to the, the president's nominee. There's been talk recently of the president meeting with that select group of Democrats right. that has kind of gone back and forth on some of his nominees. So I think three voted for, for Neil Gorsuch yeah. when he nominated it before. From a logistical voting standpoint, I think that there are clearly some single-issue voters who are very concerned about the Supreme Court, and this could, not that Tennessee needs a lot of help with driving GOP turnout, but this is definitely going to help yes, Republican voters come out, which obviously helps Marsha Blackburn, presumptive nominee, but is going to help whomever becomes the gubernatorial candidate, again, just because they think that this is a big issue. It's right. going to help the entire ticket, right. I think. Yeah, and and you know, I think you're going to have single-issue voters that are, are worried about uh, overturning Roe v. Wade, you know, so yep. I, I, stuff like that is going to be a driving factor that is going to help Republicans. And and frankly, Democrats are also going to be energized to do this, too. So it's not just Republicans that want to use the opening in the Supreme Court to to, you know, weigh into this issue. Still not sure who will be that gubernatorial nominee yet on either party. About a month left before the August 2nd primary. Most recently, we saw Perhaps the first real barbs come out on the GOP side, four main contenders, a couple of the candidates that everybody thinks are the, the leading contenders really started to, to hit each other. Joel, what, what happened? Yeah, uh, Diane Black, the uh, the congressman here from Tennessee, decided to go on the offensive. Um, there have been 
you know, several forms where they they kind of kept their gloves on and, and really didn't touch each other. But uh, at some point recently decided she's going to launch an attack ad. So Diane Black, her campaign launches an ad in which she calls Randy Boyd, the Knoxville entrepreneur and uh, Williamson County businessman Bill Lee, quote, too moderate, essentially. Black is pointing to, uh, you know, Lee's donations to, uh, I believe it was Megan Barry in the past, um, who ended up, you know, uh, representing the city at a time when Nashville was considering making a sanctuary city. Uh, she Black points to um, Randy Boyd's previous uh, I guess there was a question about disavowing uh, uh, Donald Trump, even though the I would disagree that much his, disputed. Yeah, I would disagree that his story uh, actually says he disavows Trump. Um, but that's what uh, Diane attacked on. Uh, more recently, we've had attacks on the other side, though. Randy Boyd uh, has come out with a new ad that says uh, DC Diane is just attacking us because she's afraid to lose, uh, you know, her her political office. She is part of the swamp. And and so, I mean, this is, is certainly going to get interesting the last few weeks. Logistically, this is the time of the year when yes. you would imagine people to fight. It's also an indication that the race is close. Correct. I'd w- say all the campaigns right now, the top three, Randy Boyd, uh, Diane Black and Billy, they're, they're all saying that the polls are close. So, Which is what you'd imagine. You'd imagine yeah. that things are going to start tightening. You're going to see more of these ads. One of the issues that, that uh, Randy Boyd hit. Diane Black on is this idea that maybe she didn't actually support a southern border wall, which is which is fascinating. She supported the president publicly and has said that she had, but there's an interview that she had with Katie Couric. Katie Couric, that's right, where apparently after some laughter, the ad captures Black saying, quote, first of all, you can't build a wall. That won't work, which I think. In theory, the Boyd people clearly think that that's going to hurt her with Trump supporters. I, I definitely think that's the gamble. They're trying to undermine that that Black is as supportive for Trump as as she says she is. Uh, I don't know if they're going to win on that. I mean, on the other side, you've got Diane Black sending out mailers that show her standing with the president. Her her congressional office today sent out a video of the president. You know, just recently saying, uh, "Hey, Diane, we we got to thank you for your support on on tax reform." So we've seen uh, if uh, candidates have been able to differentiate themselves on anything, it's been immigration. They've talked, there's been a mm-hmm. lot of focus on immigration. Yeah. Like I mentioned earlier, I went out to Wayne County, talked to some voters about the president's so-called zero tolerance policy that uh, separates families from children. I found a lot of support for building the wall, not so much support for separating families. Still a ton of support for the, for the president, though. Today, we brought in a special guest to speak with us about immigration policy in Tennessee and uh, the future of how a governor or a senator can affect that policy. Uh, Here's our interview with Stephanie Tietro from the Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee Rights Coalition. Stephanie, thanks so much for for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So if you could just talk a little bit about, just give us kind of some broad strokes, background information on the immigrant and refugee populations in Tennessee. Sure. So Tennessee, we have one of the fastest growing immigrant populations in the country. So when we look at how quickly communities are changing, it's pretty fast. But the overall number of immigrants is still fairly small. Um, So about 5% uh, of Tennessee are foreign born. Cities like Nashville, you get closer to 15%. um, So a little more than 300,000. What kind of financial impact uh, does that have on the state? Immigrants and refugees are a net economic gain for the state. Uh, Study after study shows that immigrants help create jobs. They, of course, contribute to our tax base. We know the more people who are moving here, the better for the state. When you when you talk with um, immigrants and refugees, both who have been here for a long time and, and are new to the state, do you hear them talk a lot about state politics? Do you hear them talk a lot about national politics? Do they not talk about politics at all? Yeah, immigrants are just like 
any Tennessean. Some people are incredibly plugged into the political scene. Others are not. So what we know is, of course, that national immigration policy is having a tremendous impact on people's lives, their families being stuck in the refugee resettlement pipeline or being deported. Um, but we also know that there's a lot of state issues that affect people's lives, not being able to go to college, um, now potentially encountering deportation through simple encounters with their local government. But really what we're looking at this year is just the climate. When the rhetoric around immigrants is so hostile and so negative coming from the president through all of these campaigns, people feel that in their day-to-day lives, how they're treated by people, the representation of their communities on TV. Um, so it's it's the lived experience as much as it is, is the policy. You mentioned the idea of, of you know not being able to go to college. That's been a, a, an issue throughout the state legislature the last few years where you see bills introduced that try and prevent or allow people actually to get in-state tuition for for immigrants uh, not originally from Tennessee here. Um, That's been a a recurring theme throughout the gubernatorial election, and especially on the Republican side, you hear several candidates, actually all of them, saying, I don't support in-state tuition for, for immigrants. You know, how does that affect the the immigrant community? What what are, are people not going to college? Are they not coming to Tennessee? Certainly, a lot of people don't go to college because of our current policies for undocumented students who've grown up in Tennessee. Even those that are authorized to work through programs like DACA, they have to pay three times as much to go to college. So certainly, people aren't going. A lot of people are dropping out of high school because they don't see a path. But it's really surprising, and we think foolish, how many candidates are coming out against this policy. Poll after poll show the vast majority of Tennesseans support this particular policy and support undocumented youth more generally. It's worth noting that Turk is a nonpartisan organization and that uh, the organization has worked with Republicans and Democrats at the, the state legislature. I believe that there was there's Republican and uh, Democratic support in the state Senate for for in-state tuition in, in the past. Including the governor, though. Governor Bill Haslam has supported this effort, but that hasn't really helped to translate into massive support in the in- entire legislature, at least. I mean, certainly when it comes to the state legislature when you're talking with representatives. I mean, it's an education issue more than it is an immigration issue. But unfortunately, uh, election year politics won out this year, although the governor supports it, although business community supports it, higher education groups do. Uh, again, vast majority of Tennesseans do. People were too scared of their elections this year to let the bill move forward. And yet that's not the only immigration-related issue, right? Like you hear the, the gubernatorial candidates talking about, oh, I support Donald Trump's proposal to build the wall. Uh, you hear them kind of, uh, you know, gloss over the, the latest Trump policy about family separations. They're really not trying to go too much into that. But, uh, you know, I mean, as you look at, at these candidates, largely the Republicans, what's the concern if some of them take office uh, for the immigrant community? How could life change? So for us, I think politics and elections are different than governing. Of course, many candidates are looking at the last election in 2016 when Donald Trump carried the state. And we think that if people believe that you can scapegoat immigrants, that you can vilify immigrants uh, and win elections, that they're wrong. And so what we what we imagine for, for next year is that, you know, hopefully what we'll see in the elections this year is a real rejection of a lot of this anti-immigrant rhetoric. Immigrants and refugees, of course, voting themselves. But we know that teachers and faith leaders neighbors. They all support their uh, immigrants as well and want candidates who are really going to figure out how to make the state better, focusing on education, healthcare, jobs, not focusing on whether or not we have a border wall. Sure. And it's obviously worth noting that you talked about this earlier. 
Just because you're an immigrant or a refugee doesn't mean that immigration or refugee rights is, is your political driving issue, just like anybody else. Everybody, anybody wants to focus on education or on, on economic development. Or safety or whatever. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I think it's interesting, too, that you hear a lot of rhetoric from political candidates talking about the wall we're talking about banning sanctuary cities, this the, a policy idea that, that drove a lot of discussion at the, the legislature this year. Which, again, we do not have in there Tennessee. There are none. There are yeah. none. Yeah. And I think one could reasonably debate that the governor of Tennessee has very little impact on whether or not a quote-unquote wall is is built. What are, what are some of the policy and issues that you want to see political candidates talk about or that, that a state governor can work with a state legislature to actually accomplish? I think there's two pieces. One, of course, the state and cities have no control over federal immigration policy. Who comes in? Who gets kicked out? That's all done at the federal level. So when it comes to our cities and our state, it's about how do we make it easier for everybody, no matter how they got here, no matter what their status is, to fully contribute, fully participate. That means people having access to English classes, opportunities for workforce development and education. And so I think we hope that that um, candidates will focus on those things. But secondly, I think what the real problem is, is that a lot of our candidates and elected officials don't see immigrants as Tennesseans. They don't recognize that their constituents are increasingly from somewhere else. Um, and so when they talk about what's best for Tennesseans, that includes immigrants and their kids too. And so Stephanie, uh, talk a little bit more. Is that what is driving the effort by your organization to, to become politically active, right? You guys are, are organizing immigrants to actually get out and vote because, uh, you know, they, they have that right here in this state. Yeah. I mean, immigrants uh, and refugees have always been civically engaged. That's been the mission of our organization since we were founded. But recognizing that the stakes are much higher, the rhetoric uh, is much more heated, we know that we have to do more. So we are starting a new organization called Turk Votes, which will more aggressively engage in elections and help immigrants have a much louder and stronger voice in our in state politics. Immigrants and refugees, I mean, they're listening to these ads, they're paying attention to the policies, they know how high the stakes are for their kids. And so really, it's not just about these policy issues, but the sort of dignity and respect and welcome for a lot of people is on the ballot. And immigrants have a stake in the future of Tennessee. They want to have a voice in shaping the future of our state because it's as much theirs and their kids as it is anyone's. During this year's session, I met with some folks that you guys brought up to the Hill uh, who were meeting with lawmakers. And I think, you know, one thing I had heard from, from both immigrants as well as lawmakers, uh, you get a different sense of the person behind it when you're in these face-to-face meetings, right? So, uh, I imagine it's it's important to try and start to change hearts and minds by actually having those face to face conversations rather than just the political rhetoric of, oh, these people are evil, all these people are bad and kind of work behind the scenes a little bit. Yeah, more. and that's true, I think, between immigrants and their representatives, right? Making sure that in their districts, they're getting to meet each other and, and see each other as neighbors, but also for, for U.S.-born Tennesseans. So, for example, after this massive raid in Morristown, when non-immigrant communities start to see the impact of these harsh policies, they're starting to change their mind. They want to be there for their immigrant neighbors when ICE is storming into the town or as a result of these state policies when people may not feel safe calling the police anymore. We've talked a lot about the gubernatorial race and the state level. Obviously, there's a massive Senate race that the state's also gearing up for as well. There's been some level of that same rhetoric from the Republican likely candidate and also from the the Democrat. There's not been like a clear repudiation of the president and everything he stands for. Getting back to a policy idea, though, what's something that a, a U.S. senator for Tennessee can do to, in your mind, positively affect immigration policy? 
Yeah, we're going to be educating all candidates on these issues and, and what we hope to see, uh, and also educating voters so they know what to expect um, and what they can ask of their elected officials. But from the Senate side, I mean, thousands of Tennesseans have had their protections from deportation ripped away, right? People who are protected by Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, DACA, people who are protected by TPS, Temporary Protected Status. There's thousands of people whose futures are very uncertain, and it's up to Congress to find a permanent path to citizenship, permanent protections for, for DREAMers and TPS holders. And that is one of our first agenda items for, for the next Congress, as well as really reining in um, ICE, who is terrorizing communities here and certainly families at the borders, as well as really protecting our country as a, as a nation of refuge. Our refugee resettlement program and asylum program are under attack, and we hope that the next senator and, and the next uh, representatives in Congress can defend our values. There were at least some initial discussions recently on, on you know, the congressional level of them trying to tackle immigration this year. Thus far, that has not happened. Uh, senator Corker was on a recent Sunday show where he said, I, I don't see us tackling these big issues this year. So it does seem like this is going to be the next Congress that is going to have to, to, yeah, to go after this. I think so. And that's why we're wasting no time, again, by talking to all candidates who are running up and down the ballot, making sure they know what the issues are, how it affects Tennesseans and what their constituents think. Stephanie, I, I also wanted to, to see if and, you know, maybe it's not fair to grade uh, somebody, but we like grades. Uh, grades are good. <laughs> uh, not that I'm looking for a letter, but how do you how would you say Governor Haslam has fared in terms of immigration and refugees? I mean, of course, you know, he, he famously allowed the state to move forward on its lawsuit uh, against the federal government over refugee resettlement, which has been dismissed by a federal judge. Now it's going through appeal. This year, he had uh, the legislation that was kind of this, this anti-sanctuary cities and sort of ended up scaring folks related to ICE. How would you, how would you fare the governor on this? Overall, I think the governor sort of earns his reputation as being moderate, right? The period that he was our governor was a time when we saw most of our neighboring states adopt really extreme immigration policy. And we saw all of them introduced here, right? Arizona copycat bills, really sweeping bills targeting workers. When I first started in 2012, which was shortly after he began his term, uh, there were over 40 anti-immigrant bills introduced that year. In Tennessee? In Tennessee alone. Oh. And we saw most of them. Uh, not become law, right? And I think part of that is because he directed the state to focus on things that mattered, like education and workforce development. Of course, we saw immigrants often less left out of that prosperity. Immigrant students don't qualify for Tennessee Promise. Immigrant parents don't qualify Tennessee Reconnect, etc. But I think what will give Governor Haslam the most credit for is that he was really thoughtful to learn about the issues, right? He was one of the 30 governors after the Paris attack to say that he thought Syrian resettlement should be suspended. And after meeting with a lot of people, learning more about the program, he was also the first of those governors to say, actually, you know what? I changed my mind. Mm -hmm. I learned more about the program. I'm actually quite confident in it. And that extended to him refusing to file that lawsuit. And certainly, he, it took us several years of, of working on this in-state tuition bill, but he saw that, yeah, immigrant kids going to college helps us meet our drive to 55 goals. These kids are Tennesseans. They want to contribute. We should let them. So I think, of course, the final act... Uh, where he failed to veto an incredibly dangerous bill is really disappointing. Uh, and as that bill 
becomes law and as it's implemented, I think it will be a defining part of his legacy, right, in this moment. But I think overall, uh, he was very thoughtful and a moderating force um, when other states were, were like Alabama and Georgia and South Carolina really went the wrong way. Last question here, and and I kind of want to do like a broad question here at the end. I, w- I went out to, to Wayne County this week, a, a rural Tennessee county, and met with some voters and talked in part about immigration policy and immigration politics. And both there and also in the comments afterward, there's a, there's a lot of thoughts about uh, about the idea that, that people who are here, who are immigrants, are here illegally. And there's a lot of this idea of they're not bad people, but they broke the law when they came, and now they need to leave. And I think that that kind of drives some of the rhetoric that's out there. Can you just talk a little bit about if I'm somebody in Tennessee, rural Tennessee, urban Tennessee, and somebody moves into my neighborhood who may be an immigrant or, you know, is somebody that I'm not familiar with. Can you just talk a little bit about like this education about who immigrants are, why addressing this fear of the unknown, just which I'm sure you hear about all the time. Certainly. I mean, I think one part of it is the more local you get, the less political immigration is. When people get to meet someone at church, their kids go to school together, they learn more about why people move. They learn more about their aspirations for living in Wayne County or anywhere in Tennessee. And that really cools the conversation a bit. The more personal it gets, the less political. But the other piece that when we talk to, to voters, like the folks in Wayne County, is helping people to put that individual that they might see or people they're starting to see move to their community in a larger context. A lot of people assume that we have very good immigration laws that bad people are breaking. But through conversations and education, we help people see that actually we have really outdated and really bad immigration laws that are hurting good people who are just striving to protect their family and also aren't benefiting us as a country either. So how can we change our immigration laws, and certainly when it comes to the enforcement of our immigration laws, do so in a way that reflects our values and makes our community stronger. Stephanie Tietro, the co-executive director of the Tennessee Immigrant and Refugee Rights Coalition. Thanks so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hey listeners, I'm Tennessee politics reporter Jordan Bowie, and this is Fact and Fact Check, a segment of the show where we offer both facts about Tennessee politics and check out questionable statements and figures tossed around in the political arena. For our last fact, we checked out the last political outsider in the governor's mansion. This week, with the announced retirement of Supreme Court Justice Anthony Kennedy, we take a look at judicial selections. While Republicans in Congress are anxious for a presidential confirmation before the midterm elections, it's not only the president who sometimes needs to make a quick decision. In fact, former Tennessee Senator Howard Baker once had the chance to become a Supreme Court justice. Nixon asked him to fill one of two vacant seats in 1971, but audio recordings later revealed Nixon instead nominated William Rehnquist when Baker took too long to make up his mind. But two years later, Baker served on the Senate committee that investigated Nixon in the Watergate scandal. That's our fact. Now on to our fact check. On the other side of the aisle, Democrats are calling on Republicans to wait until after the midterm elections to select and confirm Kennedy's replacement. They are citing Republicans' decision to block President Barack Obama's nominee, Judge Merrick Garland, for the seat of late Justice Antonin Scalia until after the presidential election in 2016. Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer has said the opposing party should follow the rule they set in 2016 and that doing otherwise would be, quote, the height of hypocrisy. But the Senate has confirmed four Supreme Court justices during midterm elections, including Scalia in 86, David Souter in 90, Stephen Breyer in 94, 
and Elena Kagan in 2010. That's our fact and fact check for this week. Check back on our next episode for another segment. As we look ahead, as the election nears, we've got the Tennessean and, and the USA Today Network is going to start rolling out candidate profiles of the various gubernatorial candidates. Uh, we'll be starting this week uh, with Carl Dean and Craig Fitzhugh. We're starting with the Democrats first, followed by the following week, uh, one each day with the Republican candidates. It's essentially going to be a profile of who these folks are, a little bit of background, as well as go into some of these policy positions. Uh, stories are written by myself, Jordan Bowie, Joey Garrison, Ryan Poe, and Tyler Whetstone. And really check them out. They give you a chance to, to hopefully help you decide who you want to vote for in the upcoming primary. You'll be able to find those on Tennessean.com and, and every other newspaper here in the USA Today Network, Tennessee. Uh, also coming up very soon, something to look forward to. It's pretty exciting. There are these things called campaign finance ching, reports. Ching. I know. Don't don't run away. Don't run away. They are actually exciting. It's a lot of numbers, but they tell a story about how the campaign is faring. Uh, the number of small donations that they're getting can indicate some grassroots support. You can see the the whether these donations are coming from out of state, how the candidates are spending their money, which is always really important. I also anticipate this latest report. We, we haven't gotten one since March, but uh, this latest report is going to make us surpass the the 2010 election. I'm assuming uh, with the uh, governor's expenditures, at least on on the race. So this will probably make this the most expensive race in in state history. And and that's yet to see what happens in the final month. I mean, so this is really catching us up through all donations through the end of uh, June. And a huge caveat: just because someone has money doesn't mean they win. We saw the big upset in New right. York recently, but uh, it's still an indicator. It's still a factor, and it's still something we like to pour over but we'll do that for you and we'll bring you stories on that as soon as they come out also if you're listening to this the day that this podcast comes out it's tuesday july 3rd it's an important day in elections here in tennessee that is the last day to register for the august 2nd primary so if you haven't yet go do so now it's very important that you vote you can learn how to do that at tennessean.com or at the uh, website for the Tennessee Secretary of State. Tennessee's a little bit different with the way that they do registration for these primaries, right? Yeah, no, Tennessee uh, historically is, uh, Democrats argue, one of the worst states in terms of voter registration deadlines. Uh, You have several states out there that you can register either the day of voting, you can register up to 15 days before uh, voting, or, you know, 20. Tennessee is, is in, you know, 30 days beforehand, so... We still anticipate massive turnout for these elections. These are always popular elections, less in a, in a midterm year than a presidential year, but still, there's going to be a lot of people that come out, especially in these really contested primary elections. Another big date to look forward to, early voting starts July 13th. It's, it's an important day. That's when early uh, voting sites start to open around the state. Again, you've been listening to Grand Divisions, a politics podcast. Uh, please listen to us on iTunes, Tennessean.com, or anywhere else where you find excellent politics podcasts. I'm Dave Boucher, investigative reporter. And I'm Joel Ebert. We'll see you next week.